I, uh, I have three daughters. My youngest daughter is Priscilla. She's a couple weeks away from being two years old. And, and a few months ago, I had made the decision that I was going to, I guess this, to make it sound less holy, Jen had a meeting at the house, and so I had to get out of the house with the girls. So I decided that what I would do with that, it's been time, and they've been asking for, they all had these, we have these little plastic babies in our house, and these three girls love to fight over, like, the two specific ones, even though there's enough for them to each have two, right? And so I decided, okay, well, this is the time. I'm going to take them out to the store, and I'm going to buy another baby, and we're going to give them this, this place. And we do this periodically, not often, but periodically, where we offer them, like, one gift, they get to choose it within a certain price range, and, and this is how it's going to happen. And so we went out there to, we decided to go out to Toys R Us, because I felt like there'd be enough of every kind of option there. So we drive all the way out there, get out there, and we're doing this, you know, okay, everyone pick, and, and Ava and Olivia, my older girls, are like, oh, this is so hard, and they're like admitting like they're just struggling to find one thing, and so they're running all over the store, and we're there walking around forever and ever and ever, it seems like, and they finally, Ava and Olivia come to their decision, and this is what they're going to get. Well, then Priscilla's wanting a baby. So we're in there specifically to get Priscilla a little plastic baby. Well, if you've ever been to a Toys R Us store, there are thousands of, seems like, babies, different sizes and different accessories and different everything. So you kind of eliminate the super expensive ones. I love my kids, but not that much, apparently. And so, so you eliminate those out, and then you get to this spot where it's like, okay, we're going to give them this. These are the options. And so Priscilla's like... Ava and Olivia are trying to be helpful. Like, do you want this one? Like, yeah. And so she's grabbing it. So she starts grabbing it. Now we have like 15 babies in the cart. It's like, okay, we can't have 15 babies in the cart. We can only get one. And so I look at Priscilla, and she's got these big eyes. I'm like, you can only get one. Yeah. Okay, which one? And she's like, this one, this one, and this one. And so she's holding it. I say, no, this isn't working well. So we finally get it down to where it's like, okay, price-wise, what they have at the house, kind of where it's at. But the girls and I eliminate it down to two. So we have these two babies for her. Okay, it's a, your choice is one of these two babies. Priscilla, do you want this baby? Yeah. Okay, well, if you have this baby, then you can't have this baby. Yeah. Okay, no, you, you can't have this baby. Yeah, okay, go to put it back. No, 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 oh, okay, don't put it back. You want this baby, you know, so it's, yeah. And we sat there what seems like an hour, probably was only about 20 minutes, was still excruciatingly painful, right, of her trying to figure out which one she wanted and like tears welling up in her eye as I get ready to take the one that she wants away because she wants that one more than that one now. And so we went back and forth, finally picked one. I know I'm a horrible father, right? I took, only gave her one. And then I, we leave the, the house and she loves it and plays with it for a week and then she's done with it anyways. But you get that, how that works. But it, what's unique or interesting and, and incredibly applicable about that is that most all of us are ingrained with this idea that we want a third option. We always, we always do. We, if, if anyone ever comes to us and says, you can do this or this, we're like, or. <laughs> what if, you know, and, and we, maybe it's creativity, maybe it's intelligence, maybe it's the desire to, um, uh, to bleeding heart, so we, we feel like both would be good, and so we feel like we can somehow figure out how to do both somehow, and we always want one more option. We rarely, rarely are okay with the two options, especially if both options are seemingly good. And they both look good. It's like, man, I don't, I, if I pick this, I'm not going to have this. If I pick that, I'm not going to have this. You know what's interesting about, about Priscilla is when we got home, she didn't look at that baby, and she's like, you know, Dad, in hindsight, I'm kind of missing the other option. Like, she really didn't think about the other option. She was excited about that baby. Well, she can't speak like that. Don't worry, she's not that smart. But, but she, didn't, she just played with the baby and was happy. But we're always looking for a third option. We're always looking for it. And, and, and again, sometimes we do it out of a really sincere heart. 
problem solving. We see a friend that has kind of two roads to take, and, and one leads to some hard things, and another one leads to some hard things. And so instead of seeing the choices or the consequences or whatever may be the actions to what was done, we try and problem solve with this heart and say, well, what if you could just, you know, I know you did that, but what if, and a lot of times you're in a situation where you can't undo something that's already happened or set things in motion. And so we're always looking for that. So it's a heart, or, or sometimes it's, it's an intelligence thing. I'm just smarter than the two options you're in place. Some of your engineers are like, I can math this somehow. I know I can, right? You're like, I can figure out a solution here. And so we, we think we can, we can outthink a, a situation or outthink a position and give ourselves a few more options. Honestly, some of it might be our pride, our stubbornness. We just don't like being told that there's only these two things. Like, come on, there's got to be there's got to be another option. There's got to be another way. This just seems so exclusive and so prideful. And, and really, it's our pride that's pushing pride on the existence of that, that scenario. But whatever it is, we're all like that little two-year-old I have at home, <laughs> trying to find the third option. It's in us from the very beginning. We want to find this third option. We've been working through the book of Matthew, and we've been talking about the second coming of Jesus over the last seven weeks now. And we're actually, this is the last Sunday on the, 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 um, the second coming. And then we have two weeks in Matthew 28, and we're done with the book of Matthew. Um, and in doing that, I challenged you, if you can just kind of go back to the beginning of the year, I challenged all of us. I said, let's make this a year of authenticity. Let's make this a year where we don't just say we believe something and then accept behavior that's the exact opposite of that belief. Let's make this a year where, where we can say at the beginning of the year, God is going to make us more like him, where we are less hypocritical and more authentic in, in, our, in our faith so that when we look back at the end of the year, we can say, look at what God has done in our life. And that, that was kind of culminated around the Resurrection Sunday. And then coming out of the Resurrection Sunday, we've come to this, this whole second coming of Jesus, and I've challenged all of us this whole time saying there are lots of isms and is beliefs that you can have out there. I feel like a lot of those, uh, they're great. People study, that's awesome. They're trying to answer things that we sometimes can't answer. And, and in a lot of ways, we're missing the point of what God is trying to do through his scripture. And so I just said the one thing that we can know for certainty through this is that, that Jesus is coming back. He's coming back to finish what he began. He's coming back to finish what he started and, and to complete all that we, we desire, if you've spent any time in this world as a follower of Jesus, you just desire that at the deep root of just the, the end of brokenness, for justice to reign. We, we, we desire and want, and we, des- we want to see that happen. And I said in this two weeks ago, when, when Jesus was talking about the question to him from his disciples, what does this, what is the signs of the end times, and what are these things, or how does this play out? He was answering kind of what this looked like with the destruction of Jerusalem, and where you land in your belief is kind of how you see that. But then two weeks ago, he made this turn in, this, in the parable, where he stopped talking about what the signs of the time were, and he started speaking about what is your role in light of what you know about me coming back. And so we've spent the last two weeks in two parables where he, he actually defined what it meant to be prepared or, or what it meant to invest in his kingdom purposes. And it was an expectation for you, when I say you, those of us that have surrendered our life to Jesus, here's what we are to do in this life, in this world, in light of the fact that Jesus is coming back. Well, now this is the last week of this. And actually what Jesus is going to do is he's going to kind of close the chapter on this and he's going to say, this is in light of everything that I've talked about my coming. What does is, what is the end actually look like? What is the end? What is the culminating end to we know here's our destination and that's where Jesus 
goes today. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. If you don't have a Bible, just slip your hands up. The ushers will bring you on. We're going we're gonna to read out of uh, 25 verse 31 through 46. And again, this is, this is Jesus' last kind of message here prior to going into what we actually already studied, which was the Resurrection Sunday. So this whole conversation happens before the last week of his life. So Jesus is teaching. And, and again, this teaching that he's having is just with his disciples. This isn't a public teaching. This isn't some, there's a bunch of crowds in place. This is just his individual disciples, disciples at this point, probably um, the, the 12 right there, just having this discussion with him. And so, so that's where we pick up, verse 31. So verse 31 says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and, will be, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Okay, we're going to pause there for a second. A couple things are happening here. Uh, first off, Son of Man is, is Jesus' absolute favorite, favorite term of himself. So he, he's, he's talking about himself here. When the Son of Man returns, um, some theologians, some scholars are still wrestling with what does it mean for him to sit on his glorious throne? How does that look? Because if it's at the second coming, again, this is, depends on your ism belief. But most people believe that this is in reference to Jesus at the end of whatever may happen in this world where Jesus is finally coming to take the throne of his, of his or take the rightful throne of his over earth in the new kingdom, in his kingdom. So this is where he's coming in place. In fact, the scriptures teach over and over and over again that the Messiah will be the judge. We see that all over in the scriptures, in the Old and the New Testament. And so we have this setting where he's, 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 he's speaking about when that comes, the angels will help me separate out the sheep and the goats. Now, some people want to make this a parable. And the only reason why they would make this a parable is because of the sheep's and the goats' term. It's, just a, it's a metaphor. It's not really a parable. He, he, he talks about separating in a way that makes complete sense to a first century Jew. The, the, the shepherds were everywhere. In fact, this is Jesus' point to Ezekiel, Ezekiel 34. The shepherd talks, it talks specifically about the same idea of the separating out. Goats and sheep were common, common herds, animals that are common today. They would graze together, but there were times when they needed to be separated, and most of the time it was at night because sheep would stay exceptionally warm. Sheep, not sheeps, sorry. Sheep would be exceptionally warmer. Goats would not, so they had to separate them at times. So it's a very common practice. So I believe Jesus isn't speaking in a parable here. He's using a metaphor that helps them understand, oh, there's a specific time when the shepherd is going to separate out those that seemingly walk together, graze together, eat together, live together. And so I think it's a very good picture for us to understand that there are going to be two people in this end judgment, whatever this may look like, that their lives seem to look the same, but ultimately the shepherd's going to separate them. And so that's where Jesus is going. He's speaking about this separation. Um, the other thing he says in here, he talks about the right and the left. Again, in a first century Jew, most people understand in royalty, being in the position of the right of the king is the, is the most prominent and best position you could have. In fact, even being at the left was a prominent dis, um, position. But when spoken about together, when spoken about together, we're saying this one's on the right and this one on the left, the left would have been a bad omen or a place of dishonor. So unless it was just its own setting in a, in a, in a, uh, a royalty place where they were saying, hey, you can sit on my left, that's great. It's when someone's speaking and talking about those that are on the right and those are on the left. The right is still the place of prominence and power and, and closeness to the king. The left is actually then a bad omen, a place of, of uh, 
look down on, a place that's not seen in a high place. So he's talking about these sheep and goats being separated, and the sheep are put on the right and the goats on the left. He's laying himself as a shepherd. All over the scriptures talk about the Messiah being the great shepherd. We all see that over and over again. And then in verse 34, we pick up. So then, so this is kind of the beginning, and then, then, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father. I want to pause real quickly. This is one of the only, the few spots in all of the New Testament where Jesus actually references to himself as a king. One of the few spots. It's, it's in a couple other spots, but this is one of the spots where he says, okay, the son of man, and then he says, then the king will say. So he's talking specifically about his, his lordship, his kingship in this position. So Jesus wasn't afraid of his position. He wasn't hiding his position. He's speaking very clearly about what his role is going to be in this. So he, he says, then the king. He will say to, he will say, say to those on his right, so saying to the sheep, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did, you, when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he'll say to those on his left, so he's speaking now to the goats, Depart from me, you cursed, into the internal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me naked, and you did not clothe me sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And so we come to this, this, this interesting scenario where I think a lot of times people have used this to kind of preach about the, the, the idea that we're supposed to go out and take care of the poor and the needy and, and to clothe. And in first century um, Judaism, uh, nakedness was actually just being poor, not able to buy clothing. So it wasn't like there were just people walking around naked. It's just they didn't have much clothing. So that's what that's in reference to. Being in prison was a very, very horrible thing. They were usually um, cisterns or wells that they'd be dropped into that would open up and be a cave. So visiting someone would have been a, a remarkable thing to do because you're, you're willingly going into a place like that that isn't exactly pretty or smells good. And so these are, these are common things that they, they speak of. But most preachers coming to this section go, okay, well, this is our call. You've got to do this, and you've got to do this, and you've got to do that, and you've got to do this. Uh, another defining thing out of this text that we have to define is, is brothers. What is the least of these to brothers? I believe that Jesus is speaking specifically about what we as followers of Jesus do to other followers of Jesus, and specifically the least of these. And the least of these would have been those that would have been poorer or been not as, a, as popular or in, in a lesser spot. And the reason why, why I say it this way is, is it's not that Jesus is saying that you don't have to take care of the poor if they don't believe in Jesus. That's not what he's saying. He, he gives us plenty of commandments for that elsewhere. But what he's saying here is, is, is specifically what he's doing is saying you're taking care of the least of these that are brothers. This is one of the reasons why I love what we do in the Philippines because there are, there are Filipinos that are naked. They have no clothes. They have little clothes. 
It's an opportunity for us to take care of our brothers and sisters across the world. There's brothers and sisters locally that we can be investing in and taking care of and doing this. So this is a, this is a call for those that believe in Jesus to do for those that have less in the kingdom of heaven. Now, it would be really easy to preach this section and say, okay, well, guys, here's what you do. Start taking care of this and start doing that and start doing this. But I really don't think that that's actually what this is about. In fact, we have to be careful about that because it'd be so easy for me to, let's rally the troops around the poor and the hungry and the thirsty and let's bring clean water and all those things are awesome and good and beautiful and things of, of God. But, but we have to read this in the right context the way it's being said here. Jesus isn't saying, you are welcomed into my kingdom because of what you've done. He's not saying that. In fact, we have to read this a little bit differently. We have to pay attention to the word for in here. Right at the beginning when he says, he says, first he says, come you are blessed by my, her- my father, inherit the kingdom um, prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry. Now, one scholar says it this way. He says, I can say it has rained for the atmosphere conditions were right for rain. Or I can say it has rained for the streets are wet. The for in one case gives the reason for the rain and in the other case, the evidence for it. So in this situation, it's the, it's the latter. Jesus is saying, you're going to inherit the kingdom of earth, or you're going to inherit the kingdom of the Father, for I've seen this attributes out of you, this characteristics out of you. Part of that's also in the idea of inherit. If you've ever inherited anything, you didn't earn it. <laughs> right? You, you, didn't, you, didn't, you don't look at like grandma and be like, I've loved you a lot. I've loved you a lot. Now when you go, that inheritance is mine. No, grandma decides where the inheritance goes. So an inheritance is a, is a gift a gift. And then the other aspect, and I don't know where you stand on this theologically, but he says, before anything began, I prepared this place for you. Before the beginning of the earth, before, and before the beginning of time, before you understand it, I prepared a place for you. And so he's, he's, he's saying this is very much speaking about the fact that these sheep that he's discussing are welcomed into the kingdom of God. And then he goes on to describe what they did so it's, it's, a, it's a very easy way for us to understand it, saying, okay, the sheep did this stuff. And you know what's interesting is they, <laughs> they didn't know they were doing it. It's not like they're like, oh, that's right. I remember I was super invested in devotees in the Philippines, and so obviously I gave. And so, yep, you're right, God. High five. I was doing it right. They had no idea. They're like, when did we do this? When, when did we do these things? I don't even remember when you're talking about. And it's not some, oh, holy, look at them, like they're just so holy, not doing what they're, with, let, not letting their right hand know what their left hand does. Or like, no, it's, it's a recognition that it's just an outpour of who they are. The, the, the fruit that is present is not the root of salvation. It's the evidence of. So they're saying this is just in place. If you look at it, the same thing, what's, what's really interesting is the, the goats didn't know that they weren't doing it. They weren't like, their question was, when didn't we do this? When didn't we do it? And so we see this this unfolding of these two obstacles happening. I want to talk about this works-based stuff first. Again, a little bit more. Jesus isn't saying that these are people whose good lives have earned them salvation. I want to be really clear on this. He's not saying that. In fact, he's, he's saying that God has blessed them and brought them into his kingdom, and then he proceeds to cite evidence of that life. So he's saying, you are, you are in God's kingdom, and here is evidence of that life. 
Here's the fruit that shows that you are in this. Jesus makes it, it very clear on Judgment Day that there are going to be some surprises. Whatever that looks like, both were very surprised. Wait, when, what? When did this happen? When did that take place? The deeds presumably are an outcome of a living faith, not the basis of acceptance. So it's this outward thing that's happening. Well then, what exactly do we do with this? How do we, how do we move forward from here? Because honestly, if you look at this and you go, okay, this isn't about what works we do, although we are called to live this way. It's evidence of that fruit. It isn't about us being fully available in place and having an understanding of, of knowing exactly what we're doing. It's just about an outpour of who we are existing. And those are the things in which we're actually caring and ministering to Jesus is what he's saying here. Well, then what are the outcomes of those two? Well, I skipped kind of the last verse of this section because the last verse of this section is one of those ones that we end up being a lot like uh, Priscilla, my two-year-old, going, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. There's only two? Can you, like, can you give me another one? In fact, a lot of times the last, the way we read verse 46 is, and these will go away into eternal punishment, speaking about the goats, but the righteous, the sheep, into eternal life. But in case you missed that part, there's a third option. Just kidding, I was moving. Like, we, we try to add to this. <laughs> oh, it's not comfortable for us to talk about it, so let's, let's find something a little bit more palatable. You know, it's, <laughs> it's not like this is a new teaching for Jesus. This happens to be the last of his teaching prior to the, the, the issue of him being you know, betrayed and all that stuff happening that we've already studied through. This is a continuation of a topic that Jesus has been saying through his whole ministry. Just in the book of Matthew, just in the book of Matthew, the separation of the wheat from the chafe, chapter 3, of the sincere from the hypocrites, chapter 6, 5, and 16, the wise builder from the foolish, chapter 7, the wheat from the tares, chapter 13, the good from the bad fish, chapter 13, the profitable from the unprofitable servant, verse 14, the prepared versus the unprepared, the virgin, the wise versus the foolish those that invested, those that didn't. Jesus has, through his entire ministry, laid out two options. And well-meaning people have tried to figure out a third way. Because that just doesn't seem as palatable, as comfortable for us to kind of chew on. Doesn't seem fair, doesn't seem right. And so, let me be clear, Jesus is as is, is clear as I can see in the scriptures that you're in one of two groups. There's not a third group. He's not going to like pull out a, JK, this whole thing was a mess. Like he's not going to, he's not going to tweet that right at the end. Just, you know. So he says these two options. The evidence of that fruit is seen by where you stand with Christ. So the obedience that I do in my life isn't me being awesome. It's the Spirit of God making much of the King that I serve. It's evidence. It's fruit of where I sit, prepared beforehand for me. There are so many landmines in this scripture that we can just 
get so down, like distracted and miss out on the fact that Jesus is saying something very, very simple and profound and beautiful at the same. Hey, good news, guys. There's a second option. Like that, that's the best news there could be. That there actually is a second option. Because left on our own, without him walking to the cross, we're still with one option, guys. Trying to figure out how to do this on our own to please a God that we can never, ever please no matter how good we are. And Jesus says that the one will be here and one will be with me forever. One will be without me forever. An eternal thing. That's the same word across the way. Many people want to try and define eternal differently. It's separated from God. And I think the issue is, is as we start working through that definition, we miss what I was talking about two weeks ago, which is being with God is that good that we cannot imagine it. There are no words, no descriptions. In fact, even the word of God pales at us trying to understand exactly how amazing it's going to be standing in his presence. There isn't a good enough metaphor. So we are either with him or not. Now, what does this mean for us? Well, here's the thing. I don't know if you ever picked up on this. I had never picked up on this until I started studying through this again this time. That, that the goats didn't really do any overt sin in this section. Did you, did you pick up on that? It's not like they said, oh, well, you're a goat. I mean, look, you murdered 20 people, and you're, you know, you're a rapist, you're a horrible person. No, they just didn't do things that would have been evidence of the Spirit of God living in you. They just didn't take care of the needy, the poor. In fact, it was so common that they didn't even know they weren't doing it. Go back two parables. The five foolish virgins weren't welcomed in just because they weren't prepared. Go forward one parable. The talents, the, the one talent person, it's not like he embezzled the money. He just buried it. So he's not welcomed into the kingdom of heaven because he was unwilling to invest in the kingdom of heaven. So all three scenarios here, the two parables and then this one, speak about not overt sin. They speak about the fact that there is a way in which we live because of Jesus Christ living in us, a way in which we live because we are selfish and on our own. And that is enough to cause the divide. So many of us, you know, the people that don't stomach or palate or they're like, man, it just seems so harsh for God to, to, you know, to talk about hell or to do those things. It seems so, it just doesn't make sense. It seems so harsh. Are the same people that if you said, what about the guy that was at the refugee camp going around raping children? What does he deserve? Oh, man, the, the, the pit of hell is his. You know, and they use that same sentence. Have you ever thought about this way? Because I know when I didn't know Jesus, I was, I was, I was old enough to, to remember this. I came to faith late in life. I can remember, prior to, to any faith in anything, I can remember actually thinking, well, at least I'm better than that person. In fact, I think it's safe to say that most of the people you know that don't profess faith in Jesus think they're doing good enough. They're all like, man, I think I'm okay. And that's what makes chapter 7 very scary when Jesus says, I don't know you. Away from me. I don't care what you did for me. I don't, I don't know you. 
See, most of us were rarely, and most people are rarely thinking, well, you know what, at least I'm just not as bad as that person, so I must be doing good enough. It's like what I said last week, where we try and make some examination out of God, pass, fail. If I do just enough good things, I can pass. And you're like, some of you are like, man, C's get degrees. If I can just get a C, God, like, let's get this in there, you know? That is not how God works. In fact, the word the righteous here, for those who have God's verdict in their favor, the entire doctrine of justification by faith through the atoning merits of Christ is contained in this word righteous. It's contained in this word. To be deemed righteous is to be in a right standing with God, not by anything I've done. Not by anything you've done. In, the fa- in fact, the deeds which achieve acceptance are not the works of the law done to win justification. They are the outcome of faith and love. So what I do is an outcome of the position I have in Christ. So when it comes to Jesus, he's coming back. We can say that with confidence. Every scholar believes that. Are, are you trying to find a third way? That's the, that's the question I have for you on this text. Are, are you looking for a third way? And, and here, here's how this plays out in our lives individually because I've seen it in my life. It's not always, maybe it is the profound way. Like you're trying to find a third way that Jesus isn't the way. And you're like, okay, it's either Jesus or no Jesus. No, there's this other thing. I, like maybe it is at the very root of it. Some of you are wrestling at that level. My, my assumption is most of us in here, we, we are wrestling at a different level. We're looking for the third way in some other aspect of our life. Okay, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. You tell me to do this with my money. And I either can do this with my money, which seems painful, or I cannot do this with my money. We're going, or, I th- I'm just brainstorming here, Jesus, there might be a third way. <laughs> I don't know if you thought this one through a little bit, but let me, let me play this out. Come on, come on, huddle up here. And we do that with individual aspects. We do that relationally. We do that with our time. We do that with his word. We do that with our pet sins that we carry around over and over again, unwilling to call to light or confess or repent. We continue to carry around this third road in hopes that it's actually there. And Jesus has said from the beginning, there is no third road. There is no third road. And and I get it, like, some people are like, man, that just seems harsh. I cannot emphasize this enough. Jesus says these words, eternal punishment, eternal life. He says these words a week before he walks that lonely road to the cross. Experiences something physically that none of us probably will ever have to experience, but then does one step further and takes the eternal punishment part away for each and every single one of his children that profess him as king and lord. I'm just going on an assumption. I don't like wherever you land on this whole eternal thing, it sounds hard. And for Jesus to pay for that for me and for you and for you and you and you and you seems absolutely excruciating. So Jesus ushers, ushers this sentence in right here, saying it full well, knowing what he's about to embark on, what he's about to do. So forgive me if I seem offended when you say it seems unloving, because the most love anyone has ever expressed or shown was Jesus Christ on the cross. So where do I get the right to claim, well, it just seems unloving, God. It doesn't seem fair. Fair would have been me walking to the cross. 
That would have been loving. One or the other. Eternal life, eternal separation. That's the message. And we can get so bogged down in this. We can start thinking and, and studying and, and look, there is nothing wrong with studying God's word. Dig in, but here's what happens. A lot of times we come to this and we're like, man, whew, that was a hard truth, Jesus. This whole two ways is hard. I need, to, I need to do some studying. So we pick up an iPad or something. We start studying. See what this guy says about it. And this guy, ooh, this guy's interesting. Ooh, this, this seems smart. And this seems smart. And this seems smart. And this seems smart. And before we know it, we look up and we are so far from God's word. It's scary. And I am not saying that other scholars can't give absolute beauty and light to God's word. But our truth is in God's word. And the whole reason why we do that is because sometimes it's just not palatable. I just don't like it. And I know this, I know this sounds harsh. I'm speaking specifically to my own heart in this, guys. I wrestle with this stuff so much. It's okay to wrestle with it. So what do we, what do we do with this? Well, let me tell you what some of you are gonna be inclined to do. Some of you are gonna be like, I gotta do more. Man, I gotta do for the needy, I gotta do for the hungry, I gotta do for the thirsty, I gotta do for the naked, I gotta do for the, the imprisoned, and I just gotta do, 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 and you're just gonna poop all over yourself is essentially what's gonna happen, right? <laughs> you're gonna start doing out of this expectation that this then will solve the problem. When you've missed the very point, Jesus says that this is just evidence of the truth in your life. So yes, go. Clean water for those that need it. We have brothers and sisters, not to mention those that aren't in faith yet, that are dying because of the most basic needs in this world. Absolutely go. God has called us to do it. He has called us to play a part in it. Go. But don't go assuming that that's going to get you there. Don't go assuming, well, if I just can do enough stuff, because then that sounds a little bit too much like the person said, did we not prophesy in your name, Jesus? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do all those things for you? Didn't we go to church? Didn't we give? Didn't we do all those things? And Jesus said, well, I never knew you. I I never knew you. Some of us, we're going to hear this, and we're going to (laughs) start feeling the weight of shame and guilt kind of bearing down on us, right? You, you kind of feel like you could, if, if, it, if there was a version of a piano kind of being lowered onto your head right now, you're kind of like feeling that thing just kind of squish down because you're like, man, my life, man, I, if you talk about fruit and, and my fruit was a peach tree, I've had maybe one peach each season. I'm just, there's just not much fruit going on right now. And it'd be really easy for us to look at someone else and say, wow, look at what seems like the fruit in their life. Seems like the fruit in their life. Look at that, look at that, and just, well, we must not add up. You have to remember this. Each of us are individually prepared for. This is a personal thing. We get to do it together, but this is, he is is individually after your heart. He's about doing the work in your heart. And so, yeah, some of you, you maybe realize, man, there's just not a lot of fruit in my life. Praise God that you realize that. Thank him for recognizing that in you. Thank him for bringing you awareness to it. Don't run to shame or guilt. That's not God. That's, that's us. 
that's us feeling we're just not good enough. We just can't do enough. We're not gonna. We're never. I'm never gonna amount to anything. So I just might as well do nothing at all. No. If God is, if God is telling you, hey, and He's whispering to you, it's time. It's time. It's time to, to grab that shovel out. <laughs> There's that talent you buried back there. I need you to dig that back up. I kind of gave that to you for a purpose. And it's about bringing glory to me. It's about my purposes and my work. And it's time. You've, you've buried it long enough. It's time. It's going to be hard. Yep. It's going to be painful. You know what's amazing to me is that the disciples hear all this stuff. And they hear this promise of being a sheep. And I, my, my assumption is that the disciples hear this and they have some idea of, of the end being that they are going to actually be in the kingdom of heaven. But then if we could just have taken them out of that spot and shown them their life, just the few short years some of them had, or a few short months some of them had, right after Jesus is, is crucified and resurrected. I mean, like, this is what life is going to look like. I'd almost feel like, they'd be, man, I got gypped. You know, he promises everlasting life, and this is how hard it's going to be. I think some of us, that's our issues. Right now, we're feeling like we got gypped by God. I said I'd follow you and nothing's changing in my life circumstances. I said I'd follow you and you can't seem to answer this prayer. I said, I said, I said. You know what that is? That is a narrow-minded focus view. We have lost sight of just how beautiful and good it is going to be in the presence of God. We, we've lost sight of that. We've lost sight. We're so focused in on what we want today that then what happens with that two-year-old going, well, I know Jesus says everlasting life, but this thing right here can give me some results today. Why not? Again, it's not like these options, if we're, if we're just looking at the very present circumstances, it's not like there's, I can kill 5,000 people or read the Bible. It's not like it's like that kind of an option. Usually it's a, okay, everlasting life. It's not gonna be easy. Okay, well, this, this might be actually pretty easy. So they, they can look fairly like enticing to each other. Well, I don't know which way to go. One ends with everlasting life in the presence of Jesus and God, which none of us have words or creativity to even fathom or mention or explain in a way that we could all go, oh, that's what it looks like, cool. But I tell you right now, if we would stay more focused on what it means to be in the feast with him, the things of this world would fade away. Some of us, we, we hear this and we go, okay, well, this is the very reason why why I can't believe in a God because it just seems so unjust and seems so unfair and seems so unloving and how dare he do that I get it that's a hard thing to understand where this gets difficult to me isn't isn't in the fact that okay the guy that's that's doing those horrible things in the refugee camp, like that, that's easy for me. Where this gets difficult is the people that, that seemingly look the part, seemingly have decent lives and do these things, but aren't actually a part of his kingdom. That's where I'm like, whoa, 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 wait, wait, what? But that position is, is dangerously close to making me God and assuming that I know absolutely everything. I know the heart, I know the reasons, I know the motivation, I know how they tick when I created them together in their mother's womb. I know everything. That's, that's the downside with this position is that we can be dangerously close to being our own God. And the reason why most of us want a third option is because we like to feed our own self. We love ourselves. We love comfort and ease and joy and, and palatable things and, and 
tolerance and all these things that we, we would love these words and we, we, all of them are, are characteristics that somehow encompass God because he has all of that right. But he does it in a way that still brings glory and honor to him. So what is it for you? Is it, is it an individual thing that you're choosing the third path? Is it, is it a relationship? Is it your time? Is it your very, very belief in God? What, what are you sitting in the little cart at Toys R Us going, all right, God, yeah, I want that one. No, no, I want that one too. No, no, God, that's great. I want that one too. No, no, that's great. We are, we are what is it with you? Some of us, it's, it's our pride. We have so much pride that we cannot in any way break down into a humble spot and say, all right, God, you're God. I'm not. Some of us, it's fear. We're afraid that we're not going to do enough. We're afraid that our fruit won't be tasty enough. We have this fear, and God calls us to fear, but you know what's, what's interesting about that fear is he calls us to fear him and him alone. And so some of that is, whoa, I am, I am done, Isaiah, right? I'm a man of unclean lips. I do not, I am not worthy to be in your presence. So some of that is a fear of I can't be in your presence because I'm not holy enough to even be here. Some of that's there. But you know what else is there? Is this reverential awe of, oh my, God, you are, you are so big. You are, you are so good. You are so powerful, so beautiful. There's, I wish I could come up with a word that all of us would be like, oh, that word, that's amazing. Amazing doesn't even do that word justice. But that's supposed to be wrapped in this fear of I'm undone, not worthy to be here. And that God that we fear invites us in, not only invites us in, deems us righteous because of what Jesus Christ did for us. Not because of what I did for me. Not because I just, you know, God was up there going, oh, Bren, that kid's going to do a lot for me. Save that kid. No. God sent his son to die after living a perfect life so that we could be deemed righteous. Here, here's the best part. You know what God did? He gave us a second choice. We only had one prior to Jesus. And none of us would have liked that option. The band's going to come up, and we're going we're to worship and sing. And as they do, I, I challenge us to maybe just ask this question. Just ask, God, where, where am I looking for the third way? Where am, I, where am I asking you to just give me a way out? What am, I, what am I asking for you to kind of make the exception clause to or the little asterisk star? This applies to everyone but me in this situation. I'm going to give you a pass. What, what, what am I looking for in that? And my bet is, is that he will identify those things to you. In fact, my assumption is some of you right now have those going through your head. And your, your, your knee-jerk reaction is going to be like, oh, shove that away. That seems hard. That's scary. Pretend that didn't happen. I encourage you to sit in it. Sit in it in a way that doesn't allow, involve others because if you sit in it in a way, you might just sit there and start self-loathing and, and shame and guilt yourself. And that's not how God works. You know what I truly believe? And I know that our lives don't show this. I truly believe that while we're in the grocery cart, God's kind of pushing us down. We got baby one over here, his kingdom, and baby two over here, my kingdom. I truly believe that if we choose his kingdom, there is no buyer's remorse. 
but I can guarantee there's buyer's remorse of the other. I can guarantee that this, my kingdom, my work, my stuff will fade out. In fact, most of us know this. We've tried this. We've tried this with a relationship, with money, with some circumstance. When I get this, everything will be okay. And it's like, not all okay. All right, moving on. When I get this, and we chase after chase after chase after chase in his kingdom, it's okay. Man, everything's not okay. And sometimes it's really, really hard. But in the end, God, this has my heart. And that's all I want. God, thank you for saving me. I confess it is hard to, um, to come to scripture like this and to, to view you in a light that seems like you're not loving people, but it's, it's reminders that, that the most loving thing you can do is give us over to our desires. And so God, I pray that our desires would be for you. Our desires would be for your purposes and your kingdom and not for our own. And God, for those in the room that are wrestling with the very fundamental basic, are you truly God? I pray that you would just wreak havoc on their hearts in a good way. Break down their fear, their pride, their, their ignorance, whatever it may be getting in the way. Break down whatever's getting in the way of them struggling to surrender to you. And show them that, that the surrendering to you does not mean an easy life, but does mean a blessed, blessed eternity. Father, for those of us that maybe see us looking at the third choice of things, I pray that you would uh, do what a loving father would do. Rip those from our hands. Don't let us fall to false idols, God. Don't let us chase things of this world. We are not of this world. Please, Lord, transform us, renew us, strengthen us. Would your spirit do a mighty work in our hearts where we actually desire not only to live a life that means that we get eternal life, but to live a life that means that we get to be in existence with you forever. How sweet of a sound that is, Lord. I pray that you would give each of us a wisdom that is so desperately needed from above without selfish ambition or evil desires to navigate these seemingly ambiguous discussions and topics and as we do that, Lord, I pray that it would just draw us closer to you, closer to your word, closer to truth. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.